Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. One thing at a time is a phrase my kids are accustomed to hearing me say pretty often. For instance, as my daughter alternates between watching her brother's Pokemon show on TV and reading a book, or as my son tries to play NBA Live on his phone while sneaking an occasional peek as his sister learns how to eat corn on the cob with a power drill on YouTube. I think we're all guilty of task switching from time to time, where our attention is split between multiple things, like working on your scales while planning what you're going to do for lunch, then checking out your Instagram feed before switching to arpeggios, and then wondering if you need a new metronome app and visiting the app store, and so on. When it comes to being productive, this is not a great habit, of course, and it can lead to increased distractibility, mistakes, and anxiety. But then there's the opposite end of the continuum, which is not so great either. These are the times when you get a little too obsessed and laser-focused on just one tiny detail, like the clunkiness of a particular shift in the scale. Then you get sucked into this trance-like state and 20-30 minutes goes by before you realize you're just spinning your wheels and very little of anything has actually been accomplished. So how should we be approaching practice? Well, when the goal is to maximize our creative problem-solving abilities, the answer is actually a little surprising. Because it's not something most people would think to do, and at first glance, it sounds like it'd actually be kind of annoying. Ready to take a look? So, for years, I assumed that practicing was about repetition. But then I learned that it's also about discovery, experimentation, and that creativity is essential, too. For example, sometimes creativity helps us solve a technical issue, like discovering that the key to making left-hand pizzicato speak clearly is less about force and more about timing. At other times, creativity helps us with a musical issue, like exploring different variations of colors and articulations to figure out what type of character or mood makes the most sense in a specific phrase. And then there are times, one could argue that it's most times, when it's some interaction of the two. Regardless, to be maximally effective in our problem solving, we need two types of creativity. One type is divergent thinking, which is where we come up with a wide variety of ideas to experiment with, And the other type is convergent thinking, where we think up effective solutions to the issue at hand. But it turns out creative thinking has a nemesis. It goes by the name cognitive fixation. 
Cognitive fixation rears its head in these times where we get fixated on a particular shift, note, or phrase and can't solve the problem, but also can't let it go. And even though continuing to hammer away at the problem can feel productive, the reality is that we often just end up going in circles and running out of time and energy. The reason why we get stuck like this is that once we get an idea in our head, it can be difficult to see the problem again with fresh eyes. So what's the solution? Curious to see how we can beat stuckness and give our creative powers a boost, a team of researchers at Columbia University ran a series of studies to investigate the benefits of task switching. 115 participants were given eight minutes to complete two divergent thinking tasks, which involved brainstorming as many uses as possible for a brick and a toothpick. One group, the continual switching group, was asked to switch between the two tasks after each new idea. So they do brick, toothpick, brick, toothpick, etc. Another group, the discretionary switching group, was asked to work on each task in any order they chose and switch between tasks whenever they wanted to. A third group, the midpoint switching group, was asked to work on one task for four minutes and then switch to the other for four minutes. And which strategy worked the best? Well, the continual group switched more often, on average about 18 times, than the discretionary group, which switched about eight times, and then the midpoint group, which only switched once. And when evaluated by a set of trained judges, it was found that the continual group came up with more dissimilar and more novel ideas than either of the other groups. Presumably, having to switch back and forth forced the participants to keep thinking up more new ideas instead of ripping off the same old idea that they just thought up. Then they ran another study with convergent thinking as the focus, which had results that were even more compelling. 104 participants were asked to solve two verbal puzzles. The continual group was asked to switch every 30 seconds. The discretionary group was allowed to switch whenever they felt like it, and the midpoint group was asked to switch halfway through the four-minute test. Then the participants were asked to solve two visual puzzles in 12 minutes. The continual group switched every 90 seconds, the discretionary group, again, whenever they wanted to, and the midpoint group halfway through. And what worked best here? Well, continual switching led to a significantly greater success rate in solving both types of puzzles. With the verbal puzzles, 89% of those in the continual group solved at least one, and 51% solved both, compared to 72% and 13% for the discretionary group, and 57% and 14% for the midpoint group. The effect was even more pronounced with the insight puzzles. 76% of those in the continual group solved at least one puzzle, and 15% solved both, which was more than twice the success rate of the discretionary and midpoint groups whose solve rates were at 32% and 7% and 30% and 3% respectively. So the benefits of task switching for creativity seem pretty clear, but will people actually use this strategy when given a choice? Well, it seems we don't necessarily act in our best interests in this regard. In a series of follow-up studies, the researchers found that when there's a clear incentive to perform their best, the vast majority of people will actually avoid the continual switching strategy even though the data in these studies and others suggest that it may be the most effective. For instance, when given a choice, the continual strategy was selected less than 10% of the time, while the discretionary strategy was selected between 47 and 64% of the time, and the midpoint strategy 31 to 45% of the time. 
Even leaders in K-12 education undervalued the benefits of task switching, with selection rates of only 7% for continual switching, but 80% for discretionary switching and 13% for midpoint. There are times where we certainly need to spend a good chunk of time working on just one phrase, but there are probably many times when we would benefit from more task switching, and task switching between passages, of course, not between practicing and Facebook. For instance, setting a timer and forcing ourselves to switch between two passages might help us come up with better fingerings, or help us get unstuck creatively and figure out how to phrase ambiguous passages more convincingly. At the very least, the study suggests that we ought to be much more conscious of moments when we start feeling stuck, and that instead of banging our head against a wall, thinking that this will lead to a brilliant idea through sheer determination and force of will, it's probably a sign that it's time for a break. Because while perseverance is a virtue, we can so often deceive ourselves into thinking we're being productive, when in actuality, we're just coming up with more variations of ideas that won't work. If you're intrigued by what you learned in this episode and would like to learn more about the mental side of practicing and performing, I put together a short quiz called the Mental Skills Audit that will help you identify your mental strengths and weaknesses and direct you to the specific concepts and practice strategies that'll help you improve faster and perform more consistently at your best. It's totally free, takes only four minutes, and you'll get a downloadable PDF with a personalized breakdown of where you stand in six key mental skill areas and curated articles that will help you adjust and tweak your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can access the Mental Skills Audit at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. Again, that's bulletproofmusician.com MSA for Mental Skills Audit. <laughs>